I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Happy 2023, James. We made it. We're here. I thought 2023, aren't we supposed to have like rocket cars and stuff like that by now? Did you watch, uh, do you remember watching like the Jetsons or any of those shows like that? Oh yeah, for sure. What year did the Jetsons take place? Wasn't that like around now? Oh my God. Good question. I don't know. (laughs) They did have rocket cars, didn't they? Oh yeah. Yeah. The Jetsons. Wow. That aired... Wow, I didn't know that that started in 1962. Yeah, it's super old. Yeah. So I think their like time reference was like way, way off for like when they said it was taking place. Anyway, uh, Happy New Year. Nothing back. Just just leaving me hanging. I already said Happy New Year. Are we going to do it again? Okay. Uh, let's... We have a lot to discuss, obviously. This is our first podcast in a little bit. We we had a little break for the holidays. I uh, hope everyone had a good holiday. Hope you had a good holiday. Um, do you have any general thoughts before I dig into some of the topics that I've laid out for us? Um, no, I mean, the, the Leafs have had some sloppy games lately. And, you know, they get guys like key pieces like Riley coming back from injury. And, you know, I think there's some, been some mitigating factors, but... You know, it, it kind of feels like since the, the Christmas break, they haven't really been able to settle in. And I don't know, it, been, it feels like there's something that's been just a little bit off in, in some of the games they played lately. Well, one thing that is is slipping a teensy bit, which we expected is the goaltending. Um, like that was due, right? They Both go, those guys were at like 930 plus for like, I don't know, eight weeks. Uh, so those guys have come down back down to earth a little bit. Uh, but let's let's. We're going to talk about the D. We're going to talk about... i got to get my topics here, James. Hang on a sec. We're going to talk about the top line. What? The only topic I have on my list is Connor Bedard and the big game tonight. So, Well, don't say tonight. That's called dating yourself because someone too, too might late. listen to this. Um, we'll talk about the power play, the five forward power play. I want to talk uh, a little bit about... Yeah, I mentioned the D. But where I want to start, James... Uh, is since we're turning over from 2022 to 2023, I wanted to start with 
this year's Leafs team versus last year's Leafs team. This is something I wrote about, so it's kind of top of mind for me. But I was just kind of curious your thoughts. Do you think this team is better than the team last year? The same, a little bit worse, TBD? Where do you kind of sit on on this edition of the Leafs team, which has you know, been at the top of the league now basically since the beginning of November? I think I would put them, I would say they're a little bit better than last year. It feels like they've got maybe a little bit more certainty and goal. Like there's no Peter Mrazek situation with these guys at the moment and, yep. and, and a little bit better defensively so far. And just with how, you know, Wilgren and, and Sandine and, uh, you know, even Timmons coming in and they've gotten a lot of good performances on the back end so far. So I would put them a little bit ahead of what, what they accomplished last year. And that's with them having such a great season last year. I think that's probably where I'm at. And I think it's for the reasons that you mentioned, like obviously the goaltending we'll see, but they, they don't have like a five alarm fire at the moment in goal, like they did with Peter Mrazek. Like that was such a brutal situation. Then obviously Jack Campbell comes undone and the defense, like you mentioned, those guys like Sandy and Lilligram were basically rookies last year. And you remember like anytime they would get put into like top four responsibilities and minutes and such like that, they kind of struggled like it was hit or miss. And this year, obviously they took the reins uh, when there were some injuries and played pretty well. They didn't have Giordano obviously for most of last year. They got him for the playoffs. The one thing is like, they don't have Muzzin and they don't really have a replacement for Muzzin, but like, I mean, you could say they didn't really have Muzzin for most of last year either. Um, I'm just kind of like gazing ahead to the playoffs and trying to think, is this team better set up to beat probably Tampa than last year and i think the answer is like maybe i guess the only thing is like <laughs> i mean the only thing is like matthews isn't playing like he did last year he's been a lot better i think the last like few weeks marner is probably not at the same level that he was last year but that can obviously still change yeah i'm not super worried about those two guys to be honest yeah. like i mean they're not at like supernova levels that they were in the second half of last year but you could potentially see it it coming and um, it, I mean, I think the big thing is if you like, if the question you're asking is, are they better prepared to beat Tampa this year in a seven game series? I would say yes, because not just because of, you know, what they have on their roster, but also the lightning just don't look like as they don't look as dominant a team as they were last year. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I think the balance has turned a little bit more in the Leafs favor just with the evolution of both teams, you know, the light, lightning lost and lose McDonough. They lose, they lose some of the depth. They've had to put some more question marks higher in their, their lineup. And I think that opens the door more for the Leafs. And I almost feel like we've talked to death. The idea of do the Leafs need to add a defenseman or a forward or whatever at the trade deadline. So I don't know that I want to go down that path again, but what I would say is that if you're asking about like, do they need someone to replace what Muzzin is, does on defense i would say it's unclear at this point it's still almost exactly two months till the trade deadline i don't think they need to make that determination right now i think you watch the next four or five six weeks of games before you decide to give up an asset to add a piece that you may not need yeah i think that's right and i think that's why you saw them put the pairs back the way they did because if like you're not making a trade for a defenseman this is your group this is like what you're more than likely going to do but i would just push back a little bit on tampa like if you look in tampa since like november 1st they're basically not that far off from boston they're not that far off from the leafs like they've really kind of they've won i think like eight of ten they're not that far behind in the standings uh from the leafs i, I still think they're right there like they're they probably like you mentioned they've lost some players but they're still really good but like what can you do like all you can do is set yourself up to be in the best position possible and i think the leafs have done that so far they've uh the leafs have two games in hand or, or sorry the lightning have two games in hand on the leafs and only four points back so yeah, yeah to your point i mean they're not the leafs are not out of the woods and you look at like goal differential and some of the underlying numbers i mean the lightning are pretty close to where the leafs are and I would just, you know, I think going into last year, the Lightning were the favorites, and I think that it's be more of a coin toss this year in that series. Do you think there's ever going to be something that pushes the NHL to actually change this format, or like, do you just think they'll, they're dug in and they're just like, fuck it? I don't. We like. I it. don't know, but it it sucks. Like it's like uh, it's just I can't be, see another league having this. Like where constantly you have the best 
two. Well, baseball the- was like it for a long time, right? Like, uh, I mean, I remember, you know, as someone who only, I only follow baseball to the extent that I pay attention to the Jays when they're good, basically. Like, that's my interest in baseball. And there's so many years where they're in the AL East and it's the Red Sox and the Yankees are outspending you by whatever the number is. And it's like, you know, back when they had such a limited number of teams that can make the playoffs, it felt kind of hopeless. So that's the only thing I can compare it to. Yeah, but that's a, that's a, a little bit different. Like this is like you're enforcing it so that you could have a situation where two of the five best teams in the league are facing each other in the first round every year. And it's like people w- might say like this, you're only making this a big deal because it's Toronto. It's like, I think it's a big deal even if it was another division. Like if it was the Kings and Sharks constantly playing each other in the first round every year and they were two of the t- five best teams, like that's kind of stupid to eliminate uh, one of your five best teams in the first round. But anyway. Um, I don't really see what it's adding either. Like I don't see what I don't see what the benefit that you're getting from it is really. And you, you end up with not even, I guess the rivalry, that's the idea, right? Like you're building rivalries. I mean, the Leafs yeah, now have a rivalry then. with Boston. They have a rival. It, like, I don't even know if you could call it. I don't know. They've played each other in the first round. Like, I don't know. It, re- it, it really looks like, you know, the Metro is going to send five teams to the playoffs and the Atlantic will only send three. I mean, Florida's fallen really far back. I mean, we'll see if, if Buffalo or doesn't, or, I mean, I guess Buffalo and Detroit would be the other options. Like, if Florida doesn't put it together real quickly, then it's going to be five teams from the Metro. And then, like, you're really only getting one divisional matchup from the Atlantic in the playoffs. I mean, is that really what I, – I don't know. To me, it, it just doesn't feel worth it to confine teams. I, I like the one versus eight. You know, you get the division leaders, you put them one, two, and then – it, you remember when they had used to have the three divisions and then like there was always the Southeast division, which had like, you know, at Atlanta. the time at Atlanta and it, and it always, there would be like Atlanta would win the division and they would be like 14 points behind the teams that won the other two divisions, but they would get third position. And that was always really bizarre too. Yeah. Like I, I think I've done this a few times with you. The team that they would play right now, if it was one through eight is the Rangers. So that's a big difference. Like you face the Rangers instead of facing Tampa. Like mm-hmm. now I guess the counter James is like win your division. Just win your division. Now the last couple <laughs> years, like you've had there's always a basically team the best super, team in the yeah, league. Yeah. 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 There's some the team goes on a heater and I mean, I, I the Boston I thing see, is insane, James. Like yeah. I didn't, nuts. I didn't see Boston being this good this year. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible what they, you know, change the coach and, and a good coach, right? Like a really good coach yeah. who changed their program, basically. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, and like, and he's been really good in Vegas too. Cassidy's been done really well in Vegas, so I don't. know. I mean, kudos to the Bruins. That's a pretty much all you can do. I mean, I would like to see another Leafs Bruins playoff series, just because like covering the other ones has been, you know, those are some of like the, I would say the best moments in my career covering those series. Like it's just it's, I, there really is a rivalry there, and it goes back so far now with. You know, it'd be the 10 year anniversary from the 2013 series. So I guess that is one positive with the division alignment is that if the Leafs can somehow get through the first round and get Boston in the second round, that'll be, that'll be a hell of a series. Well, it would be like beating down your demons one after the other. Like if you, if they beat Tampa and then they'd have to face Boston and it's like, well, you know what I mean? Like just one after the other. Anyway, uh, we'll see where this goes. But Boston, like just, I mean, they've got four regulation losses. They're 19, 0 and 3 at home this year as of this recording <laughs> just standard never gonna doubt them again never gonna doubt them again james um i wanted to talk about the top line but is there something you know we we haven't recorded in a while is there something from this last stretch of games in particular that you want to dig into before uh we get into the top line we get into the defense we'll talk about the goalies well i mean we haven't done a show since before Christmas, right? And and we missed one before that. Like we've only this is only like our second show in the last. It's 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 been kind of lean, and we apologize for that. But we'll be uh, back on a regular schedule now. Um, you know, you look at. I'm just looking at the games that they've played. You know, you beat Colorado on New Year's Eve. Good good game. Good performance. You lose to the Coyotes on the 29th. Terrible, terrible performance. They, they, they've really looked kind of like scrambly to me is what I would say with, of where they're at. So it's been a, it's been a mixed bag. And I think that that's the case with the, the latest 
the shootout loss to the the Blues. It's I think they were probably fortunate to get a point out of that game. Yes, uh, just a lot of they were bad early. They were they, the second period. They were really territorially outplayed, but then they found a way to to battle back and and bunting with the the big goal and looked a bit better in overtime than they have in some of the other overtime games this year. But um, it, it's it's really been kind of all over the place. It's been hard to get a read on on where they're at right now, to be honest. It just doesn't feel like, though, that there are a lot of nights where you're like, man, there's no way they're winning this game. They're completely flat. Like, they, yeah. like even that Coyotes game, like, they weren't, they, were, they didn't play well, but, like, they, they still had a the chance to win team. that game, yeah. right? Like, it's, I think that's what's well, been impressive, like, about this stretch is, like, they just don't have a lot of totally flat nights. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, they're in the games, and, yeah, and I think that that's fair. It's just, you, you know, I, I think that... What they're going to have to contend with here, we get into kind of like the dog days of the season where you're at midseason and there's just a lot of games and you're not at the trade deadline yet. And January is like a test of kind of, it's where the sprint becomes a marathon, right? And it becomes long and it's like, can you keep going? Can you keep with the good habits? Can you, I think they think they've got a whole bunch of home games coming up this month, right? Like I think it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be important for them to continue to bank points. And the thing too is, is it, as you said off the top, I mean the the goaltending wasn't going to last forever, and we'll see how big and how long the dip lasts. Both Samsonov and and Murray's numbers are down under nine hundred over the last little stretch. Uh, can they continue to win games and and continue to get points when if if their goalies aren't aren't playing as well as they did earlier in the year? Yeah, it's funny, James. Like Samsonov went into that St. Louis game at nine twenty, and he gave up. What he gave up five. And now he's down at nine fourteen. Like it just mm-hmm. like, and he's been he hasn't been as sharp as he had been previously. But like you mentioned, the schedule like they have some, they have a lot of games where you should be able to stack up points. Like Seattle's good, so I'm not gonna like Detroit's pretty good. Philly's not great. Uh, they've got Montreal. They've got Ottawa. Like this is a month to kind of they they have Florida, who's not played particularly well. Um, but let's talk a little bit about their their top line because it's just cooking right now, and they were excellent against um the blues like maybe they didn't start great but once they got going they're just firing i think it's really interesting how this line has kind of come on with neander and in, in marner's place because obviously that line with marner bunting and matthews was just so insane last year um is there anything standing out to you about the way that that line is played the way that neander is fit with matthews and bunting like they've just been dominant now for i don't know a few weeks at least what do you make of the way that Keefe is using that line? Like it's almost like they're he's almost deploying them as like a very offense first unit, yes. right? Like it, 100%. yeah, like it. Like you, the game against St. Louis, it was like every offensive zone draw. It's those are the guys that are out there. And well, James, can all, I just interrupt you and point that out? So yeah. these are the offensive zone draws from that game um, from Natural Stat Trick for the Matthews line twelve, for the Tavares line zero. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the Matthews line was dominant in in those situations. It's just interesting that you know not playing Matthews in the defensive matchup situations that but the thing I like about it is it kind of forces the other team to be like okay, you know, often teams are their top matchup line has like good players on it and they're having to start them in the D zone every single single time. That's kind of what you're forcing them to do and yeah. And and if Matthews Matthews wins so many faceoffs. You, you, you know you're kind of and, and and they hemmed them in the in the zone. Like they they were out there against uh, Kairou and some of the Blues' best players, and they spent a lot of time in the D zone as a result. And I think that's a, a positive outcome for sure. Yeah, it's it's when you're playing Matthews with Neil and Bunting, like suddenly you're not going to be using them in in the same way as you would with with Marner on that line. And if you can have like that camp line, James, like take on tougher matchups which they did in that St. Louis game suddenly it kind of opens things up but like they are just like this is I mean like I hate I feel like there's always like a case of recency bias when you say something like this but like this feels like the best that Neilander has played like he is just rolling and like the chemistry no. with Matthews is just like I don't know it's that been- it was ever this good even in those early years 
It's been fun to watch. I mean, they're they're different players than they were in those earlier years, yeah. right? Like they're they're on another level, and just like like the, both of their vision and the way they're finding each other, and they're finding each other. And like the the one goal, it was almost like like a give and go play, right? Where like Matthews yeah. goes back, and Nealand is always like way out at the point. Is something that looks like they're trying at even strength. Like he's he's almost like having three defensemen there sometimes or something where he's, he's playing so high in the offensive zone and opening up space. So there was the, the one play, the one goal, Matthews goes all the way up top to Nylander and then Nylander just gets it right back to him and, you know, goal. And the other team just doesn't know where the puck's going. Yeah. Well, and, and Nylander is so unpredictable. Like that's, that's, I think it's hard to like look back on that season last year with the way Marner and Matthews clicked, especially in the second half. But Neilander is such a, a threat to shoot, whereas Marner, it's like you, you kind of know he's always first, second, and third instinct is going to be to try to find Matthews. But he's, Neilander is like shooting the puck a lot. And I think that changes things a little bit. And like you've seen Matthews assist numbers really tick up. I, I think one thing I'm curious about, James, is like suddenly when you're using that line that way and like that like you're stuffing them so much in the offensive zones. Like suddenly you're leaving a little bit, you're kind of, I don't know if short changing is the right word, but like you're not getting as much for Tavares and Marner and you're though that line really hasn't generated a whole much, a whole bunch. And like one little thing that I would be like, not worried about, but like you're not getting Marner on, on the ice as much. And that kind of like doesn't feel optimal. And yet, I don't know what you do. Like, if that line is rolling as much as they are, like, you you just play the shit of them. Like, why not, right? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. They like, just, if you look for the game, St. Louis, James, just so you can kind of have some context. Um, so, Matthews plays 16 and a half minutes at 5 on 5. Nealander, 15 and a half. Marner, 13, 24, which is less than Kerfoot, less than Camp, less than Bunting, less than Nealander, less than Matthews. Like, I mean, it's not, a, it's not much. And I, I don't know how you really change that if that line is playing as well as they are there's no reason to like swap out bunting or you know what i mean like i don't know what well, you're and supposed Marner to do. gets gets a lot of both special teams and there was a lot of special teams going on and but yeah his ice times you know you look at the last five six games and you know he's 1742 you know there's one game in that stretch where he played 23 minutes against the the philadelphia game but you know the other games are all 19 20 minutes you know, down from where he was earlier this year. So, but I don't know. I mean, maybe you're keeping Marner a little bit fresh as opposed to like, I don't know that he even should be playing 23 minutes a night. No, I think that's fair. And I, and I do think, I think it's interesting, like a philosophical thing for them as a coaching staff to like decide what to do with this. Like, as far as like, do we eventually put Marner back with Matthews? I don't know that the Marner Tavares Yarncock thing is like not worked. It doesn't seem to like really work offensively, but the, they win their minutes. So mm-hmm. like, I wonder if like in the big scheme of things, like again, looking ahead to the playoffs, if you're actually maybe better off because now like you look at their lineup and they kind of don't really have to protect any one line. Like they can kind of just play anyone against anyone. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like if that line is winning their minutes, even if they're not, I, I guess the one step or quibble is like, if they're not scoring any goals, you, you kind of need one of those two lines to score. But I guess if Matthews, Nealander, and Bunting are just going to score you three, like, who cares? Uh, if you had a third line that's producing offense, then you can probably survive with yeah some dry nights from the from the Tavares line. But th- there's just, I don't know. They're getting and, a little bit more of that, I guess. There's been, yeah, there's been more. There's been a sign of a pulse from the third line that there's some offense there. And that's, that's what they need. And that's why the there's always is, the talk bel- about yeah. reinforcements to the forward group is because... Not only do you want to have a better left winger potentially on that second line, but you want to have you want to have that third line to to be able to give you something because I mean the way the fourth line is constructed is fine, and I know that Sheldon Keith, you know, I think you asked him about after the game about about that that line and its identity with with Hunt and and Holmberg and and Aston Reese, but like you're not gonna it's fine if you want that element with those guys but you're not gonna get a lot of goals from them so no. and if you're going with a fourth line that's not giving you a lot of goals you gotta you gotta hope that you're getting some at least some from the third now that we're almost at the halfway point of the season do you have any have your feelings about yarn croc changed at all like do you <laughs> <laughs> i'm not putting you on the spot you don't have to mention just, anything like 
Is this a question about what happened with the report cards? <laughs> well, you can take it there if you want, but I've taken I've taken a lot of heat for the the quarter season report cards. I won't say what happened, but if you can, you, can <laughs> go, you can go to the athletic, you can subscribe, you can read what happened there, and uh, I've taken some heat for it. And uh, you know, maybe Yarncroc's a regular reader of the athletic report cards, <laughs> and maybe he took it to heart, and maybe that's why maybe that's why he's been so good lately. You know, that has to be the explanation. He, I wondered though, James, like he kind of suggested, and maybe I'm misreading what he said, but he kind of suggested that he might have been playing hurt before. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the way he's been skating this last little bit, like, or since he came back from uh, the groin injury, like he looks like he's really moving. Like he really, the other thing like to like about him is he really plays hard. Um, I just don't know if that's like the the ideal role for him. I actually don't think it's the ideal role for him. I think he's ideal I, probably. I like him line. in Nashville. Like he's a guy I've talked about for a long time, as you can attest to on the you know, as yeah, a, as someone 100%. they could potentially get. Like he's someone that I've that I've always liked. It's just a question of he's getting a little bit older and when he looked so ineffective for the first fifteen or twenty games of the season, especially playing down the lineup. And especially not having the possession results was what was concerning for me is that he's a guy I've always thought this is a really, really smart two-way player who can skate and who, who, like you said, works really hard. So when the Leafs were getting hemmed in their own zone when he was out there, it's like, boy, I don't know about this. Like maybe he's just on the wrong side of 30 and it's caught up to him. But it would make a ton of sense if there's some sort of like a lower body thing that was affecting his skating and he just wasn't able to be as effective. Well, to be fair to you, like the numbers weren't just bad. Like they were really they bad. Were, they were horrible. It was like 39% yeah. or something expected goals. Like it was, it was, it was rough. And he wasn't scoring. He wasn't producing any offense. Like he can, it's interesting. Like when you think of his offensive ability, he, he doesn't have any real playmaking instincts, but he can shoot the puck. Like he, when he gets himself open, he can kind of hammer it. So he's so. got last 10 games, he's got four goals and. Uh, six assists. So he's got a point a game over the last ten games. Um, he well, hasn't even been generate. He hasn't been generating a ton of shots on goal, but he just it seems like he's no. been more involved. Well, that line, that line, James. I pointed out in my Monday story. Like they, they're like the least dangerous line that the Leafs have really had this year, mm-hmm. which is like kind of but, shocking when you mention when you note that like Marner and Tavares are on it. Right. Right. But but really good defensively, I guess. Really good so. defensively, yeah. So maybe that's that's fine. Uh, let's take a break, and then we should talk about the power play. We should talk about the D. I want to get your thoughts on this o- overtime strategy. Like, I don't really care that much about overtime, but I do want to get your thoughts on what the Leafs have been doing. So let's take a break and get into all that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, James. Um, We'll get to the goalies in a second um, and we'll talk about the D. But let's talk about this five forward power play. What do you think? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Do you want them to go back to four and one? What do you want? I think it's fine. I mean, they went to it with injuries being a factor, right? Like with, you know, with Riley and Sand. I, I think it's fine to have as an option in their arsenal. And the the goal, everyone's talking about it today because the goal against the Blues, the first goal is the, the shorthanded goal. And, but, you, you know, you, I watched it a few times. Like Marner played that that pretty well like he defended that one-on-one like if you had a defenseman back there do you think if riley's back there do you think he's going to defend that one-on-one play better i mean it, it, it the the opportunity that i can't who scored that goal was it Saad? the yeah. opportunity that they got there 
it wasn't like a 10-bell chance shorthanded that was the result of someone back defensively who doesn't know what they're doing. Like, the, the goalie should have stopped that one. Yeah. Now, the counter is like he... There was another uh, instance in that same power play where it was very similar, where there was another really great chance and Marner was kind of in a tough spot defending it. Like, he's just not used to defending those kinds of plays. Um, but to Keith's point, like, if you're going to try this, like, you can't just give up on it when one goal in, goes in. Like, I think they're taking maybe a bigger picture view of this idea and this concept, whereas sometimes you get sucked into the game to game. And I think they're thinking like, let's just give it some time. And maybe this is not something we actually use when it matters. But maybe if we're stalling in the playoffs, let's say, and the power play isn't working with Riley at the point, this is something we can go to. Because if you looked at their power play in the last few playoffs, it's not been very good. Like their power play in the second half of seasons has kind of just got worse and worse and worse and stopped really being a factor. So at least if you have this little tool in your toolbox, I like I I, I don't have a problem with it I, in, well, in that sense. I mean, you know the thing that it really brings that worked out for them last night that like everyone's talking about all oh, the goal against and like can you can you cuz it's a bit on it's obviously a bit unorthodox having five forwards on the power play. The thing that it gave them was that Bunting's on that first unit and he gets the goal that ties the game. And he's looked really good in that bumper spot. And it, you could see with the way that their power play was set up that the Blues were cheating to cover like the really big threats like the Tavares and Matthews is, is especially. And, and then Bunting's sitting, Bunting sitting right there. Like, you know, he's wide open and he's able to get that. Because if you're the Blues and you're down a man, like who are you going to cover? You know, you're going to, you're not, you don't want to leave Matthews there. You almost got to go almost one-to-one on Matthews and it's going to give Bunting some opportunities and he's looked pretty good in that hole right now. Well, and it's Neilander with the puck there and he's going to draw, like he draws attention there and suddenly there's just a bit more space for Bunting to your point. And I guess what you're doing is you're basically taking, instead of having Riley at the top there kind of playing maestro, it's Marner. And I can't say that that's, as worse, like Marner is just a better offensive player, obviously than than Riley. Like he's a he sees the game differently. He's a different threat, and like you kind of take him out of a position where he's having to be like when you have him on the flanks, like he's not really a shot threat. Like you kind of maybe put him in a better position. He's obviously good on uh, breakouts and entries, and I don't know. But I don't. So is Marner, I, I don't, right? Like that's what I mean. So is Marner. I, I mean, Marner is yeah. actually is, is is just as good, if not better. Right. Um, I do think like when the games start to matter, like game one, like I bet at some point in the next few weeks, they go back to having Riley there and this is just something to keep in their back pocket, but maybe not. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like you can't really, one thing with Sheldon Keefe is you can't kind of cross anything totally off because I mean, we've seen so many examples of him doing something that's unorthodox. Well, now's the time to look at it too, right? Like, you, you know, you're in a stretch of the season where if you want to do some experimenting, now's the time to to try it out and see what you've got. I mean, I, I think they know what they have on a first power play unit with yes. Riley there. And th- as you said, they, you want to have some options if it's not working later in the season or in the playoffs. You want to have some other things you can go to because in the past, they just, they've continued to try and ram out the same things over and over again. The, the thing that Bunting gives you some physicality, he gives you another guy that can jam the front of the net. And and he's a shot threat from that that bumper position more than I think I would have expected. So that's what I like about it. I mean, you're, you're swamping basically another guy like Bunting who's good down low for Riley and you're not really losing a lot from the top. How about Bunting, by the way, James? Like he's on just a tear well remember like everyone was saying i thought it was pierre lebrun tweeted that the there had been like some contract very preliminary contract conversations but you know it's almost like the leafs rushing back to the negotiating table now that it's you know he's on pace basically to duplicate what he did last year whereas early in the year that felt very unlikely that he was going to get there yeah, he had like two goals, I think, through the first like 16 or 17 games, like six points. Like he, he was on the fourth line for a bit. Like it wasn't going great. Yeah. when And when they put him on the other line, it just, he just like didn't really look very effective. So, but 
I mean, all the power to him. I mean, he's got 29 points now in 38 games, 13 goals. How many goals did he have last year? Like, is he going to track ahead of that? I think that? he had what 23, he 24, 23, I think. Yeah, like so that. he's on pace for a little bit more than that this year. So, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. And all of a sudden, he's a guy that you're like, yeah, they they likely need to keep that guy. And, you know, we'll see where the, the negotiating goes. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting case of leverage because if you're the Leafs, like, you know, he doesn't want to leave. Like, he's literally from here. He's playing like he's on the top line of his hometown team. But if you're like Bunting's camp, you're like, guys, like this guy's going to have 60 points in back-to-back years, 20 yeah. goals. Like, you're going to have well, to Well, he has a physicality and he draws penalties and like there's there's going to be and, – and he's a guy that hasn't made any money in his career. I mean, he's right. playing for, for by NHL standards, peanuts right now. He. He was been in the minors most of his career, so this is probably going to be his one, the one big contract of his entire career that he's going to have to live on the rest of his life, and that number feels like it inches up <laughs> right now oh with boy. the way he's playing. Well, yeah. and he feels like the kind of guy, like if he ever did get to market, that some team would just yeah. be like, here's a yeah. bajillion dollars, come and play for us. Like they would just someone, overpay him. Someone you know could I mean? go f- full Clarkson on him. Yes, 100%. Some, yeah. Um Worried at all about the goalies or just like this was expected that they couldn't possibly stay at that level forever? Well, why, like, how, what do you think of Samsonov? Like, I, I thought that the Leafs weren't very good defensively and they allowed a lot against Samsonov. And I didn't like the first goal against that he allowed, but I didn't think that he was that bad. I agree. Like, I don't think he, it's funny, he gives up five and I didn't think he was bad. Yeah. But like some of the other games he's had recently, I don't think he's been very good. Um, that save Samsonov made in overtime was unbelievable. Like, yes, if the Leafs would have won that game, I would have been talking about that save. I mean, we probably should talk about it. like he he's he's so athletic. He just has the ability sometimes to make stops that it's like you don't expect he's going to be able to make. He's able to make like elite elite saves sometimes. It's funny you mentioned that. That's literally what I wrote in my notes. Like just early in the game, like just how athletic he looks. Um, yeah, like I, even the first one. Like I have a hard time really knocking a guy on like a breakaway basically not a breakaway but like a one-on-one rush you're not expecting it when you're on the power play too and they they're coming across the crease and getting you moving and but that that seems to be where he's vulnerable is the five hole like he's and when you get beaten there sometimes it looks really bad yeah and murray murray played pretty well in, in colorado he's come back down to earth a little bit more I, I i do like james the way that they've been using the goalies like i think that they've yeah i think it's it's not easy to to handle you know you know like they've gone like two for murray two for samsonov one like i don't think they're overplaying anyone i i think they're kind of just leaving this like we're just going to keep playing both guys as long as both guys are playing well yeah i agree yeah i, I like that it, it's still like it's very much a tandem and it's very much like a, a battle between the two guys Right now, the Leafs sit fifth in five-on-five save percentage, so still right up there. Um, The defense is now back in, like, full swing. Actually, maybe we should take a break and then talk about the defense. Yeah, let's do that, James. Let's take a break. Let's get into the defense, and then let's talk a little bit about OT. I mentioned the defense. It's fully whole minus Jake Muzzin, who we're not expecting to come back this year. So this is is their group. If they're going to not make a trade. This is their group. Um, do you like that they've done what they've done? Just go back to, you know, kind of more traditional pairs, Riley Brody, Giordano Hall, Sandy Lilgren. I guess the one downside is it, it knocks Connor Timmons out of the lineup, but like, what are you going to do? Like he doesn't deserve to play ahead of any of those six. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is like, I'd actually like to see more of, of Timmons. So, but you basically need an injury to have that happen. So, um, it it feels like the the decor was playing better with him yeah. in there, and uh, you know Riley looks rusty, which is yeah, and he's been he's been taking a lot of heat too for the way that he's played. But I think you got to give the guy like at least a little bit of breathing room to to come back, and it's it's hard to miss time like that and step right back in and be where you were at. And the thing is, is I think that the the identity that the Leafs decor has established so far this season is one where don't give up a lot of odd man rushes, just a lot of really smart outlet plays getting out of your own zone, spending a lot of time in the offensive zone, creative um, in, in the offensive zone. And um, 
I don't know if they do they do you feel like they get away from that with the configurations that they've got now? It feels like it's too early to make that um statement. I, I guess the counter would be like this is kinda what happened in the, the first month, but like it's the first month of the season, things are always scrambling. Like I, I don't think we have enough runway to really say that. But it was notable that they had no Riley, they had no Brody, obviously they had no Muzzin. And defensively for like a month, maybe longer, they weren't giving up anything. And in that yeah. St. Louis game, like they were giving up some like grade A chances. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like you can't help but note the contrast. And I, I know that the Leafs fans, I've seen the social media and the comments on our site and everything. have been, they've been all, all over Riley. And, you know, if, if the blue line continues to struggle here and with the amount of minutes that he, I wonder if what you do with Riley is you dial his minutes back just a little bit. Or, or you play them more in offensive situations. Like, you know, it looked like they were they were getting some of the heavy lifting there against the Blues, right? And I don't know if that's necessarily the the way that I would go. Well, that that's where you get into the conversations about like whether what they have on defense is, is enough. Because like if you're if you're gonna do that, that means you're you're gonna send more to Giordano and Hall, you're gonna send more to Sandy and Lilgren. And maybe you believe those guys can do that. I, I just think it starts to like ask too much of uh, Giordano, but maybe like I don't know, maybe not. Like, well, could could you put Brody there? Not really, right? With what they've got, like, no, then you'd have, you'd have you'd to have take to really. Sandino out of the lineup, I guess. Yeah, I mean, anything is on the table. Like, that's not inconceivable. Like, they would get to the playoffs and decide, you know what, we'd rather do this. Um, so I you, mean, so you could go Lilgren with Riley, yep, and then not play them in like heavy defensive situations, and then you could go. Um, Brody Timmons, Giordano Hall. Yeah, I was thinking even maybe potential Giordano and Brody. I mean, I know they haven't gone to that that often, but yeah. I mean, the the other thing is like Timmons is still like super like raw in the NHL. He's, I don't even think he's played. He's probably up over fifty games now, and he played well. But it's not like I don't know. Like he's still really young in his NHL career, and. It, I mean, defensively, the numbers with him look great. He played with Brody, which obviously helps, and the, the matchups aren't always the toughest um, when he's been on the ice. But like, he is big. Like, he's six two, uh, two hundred pounds. Like, he's not the most physical. He's not like a nasty kind of defenseman. Um, but that's where you get into like they could add one more guy, and suddenly you can take the load off of Giordano. You could take the load off Riley Brody. It, it kind of just puts everyone in their proper place would be the argument. I, I, I think I want to see more of this blue line over the next month before I say that they need to give up an asset for a defenseman at this point. Yeah, and that's what I wrote on Monday is like these next couple months are really going to be um, determination, evaluation time for Kyle Dubas. Like this is when you get to kind of see your defense. Like they haven't really had their defense, their whole defense, again, minus Muzzin. But like, remember, like Lilligren was out the first month of the season, then Brody's out, then Riley's out, and Muzzin's out. Like, they haven't been able to kind of look at their group intact and decide because now you kind of can see like, okay, well, can we dial up the difficulty of assignments for Sandy and Lilligren, lower them like you're talking about for Riley and Brody, and is does it work? Like, if we play Tampa, for example, and I'm talking as if I'm the Leafs, if they if they're playing Tampa, can we start to give a little bit more to Sandy and Lilligren and can they handle it? And if they can handle it, like maybe maybe they're ready to take that on in a playoff series. I don't know. So um before we wrap, I do want to get your thoughts on this overtime thing. Hate it, like it, don't like it, love it. What do you think of them starting overtime with like three <laughs> guys who have basically no chance to score? Well, What's the explanation that Keith has given the media on that? Well, he's kind of said that they were doing it the other way for a while and they were getting burned, like there were turnovers. And this way, it's kind of like a, it's like tiptoeing into the pool a little bit. Like you're, yeah. you're kind of just safe. The only thing is like Randy Carlisle used to take a ton of heat for starting. Remember, he, I remember it would drive you nuts when he would start Jay McClement. And this is basically the same thing where you're just kind of doing a safe shift to start overtime and then rolling your guys who can score. Well, I mean, I think in Keefe's defense, the other way was not working at all. Like they were brutal in overtime and 
you know, it's fine. I, I tweeted after the game, well, you know, like they lost in the shootout. It's like, well, at least they looked better in overtime, question mark. And I got some pushback on that. And then like, because, you know, you look at like, like the Leafs didn't get a lot of chances out of that, but they really controlled the puck a lot in that overtime against, against the, they need to change something from what they were doing earlier. Right. And they have clearly done that. Like strategically, they're playing different in overtime than they did before. Um, and it's three on three as well, right? Like you're not going to be in that situation in the playoffs. Like it's not like they're going to go into the overtime in the playoffs. And they're going to have camp out there to start the overtime, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that's that's not what this is about. This is about like playing better in the three on three situation. That's and why I, think I don't they, like. Yeah, go ahead. And I think they 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 did look better and they did control the puck better. But it was interesting though that the Blues may have not had the puck as much, but they were when they did get it. Like, Buknevich was, like, just taking the puck, like, right to the net every time, and the Leafs didn't really have an answer for what they were doing. So that's where Toronto's got to get, is they've got to find ways to get to the dangerous areas on the ice when it's three-on-three more than they have this year in overtime. Well, like you mentioned, like, they had amazing chances to score, and obviously so did St. Louis. But, like, that's, like, three-on-three is such a crapshoot. I just don't like the idea of possibly losing a game and not getting Matthews on the ice, not getting Martyr on the ice, not getting Neil on the ice because like you want a safe shift. Like I just don't know what's supposed to happen in those camp Brody Logan minutes. Like basically you're just not you're trying not to get scored on, but you're not trying to score. So I don't yeah, I just don't I know. Maybe you're trying to burn a shift of the other team's top players on like Yeah, a, that's a good yeah, point. Like yeah, a, exactly. Like a like a meaningless first minute or whatever of overtime and I don't know, but what they were doing in the past, like the Leafs' top offensive players have not been very good in overtime. Like this, no, they were turning the puck over constantly. Yeah, yeah, and and getting getting lit up, you know. And the overtime was ending in in like relatively quick fashion. It's another like stupid little NHL thing. Like this is, I mean, you look at their overtime record; they're three and six. So that's like that's points that you lose, and like this kind of it's stupid. Like it's not it it's not the way the game is normally played. Boston's three and one. What is Tampa? Tampa is five and oh. <laughs> so like, you know what I mean? Like those are points. It makes that a you big just, difference. At it makes a difference, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like the Leafs are, they're nine points behind Boston right now with an extra game played. But imagine you have five more points. Like suddenly the, the division race is a little bit more interesting. It's. I think it's a tough, it's a tough thing for a coach. I mean, Keith was saying before, it's like, Overtimes, like he always says, it's it, he basically says it's kind of like a crapshoot, right? Like it's not like a normal yes. game situation, and it's not something that they they practice all that much. And then after they lost so many games early in the year, he's like, I guess we got to practice this now. <laughs> yeah, that's when they did actually start to practice it. Um, and they've hey, they won a couple in a row, so um, yeah, that was the first shootout too. I hate shootouts, as you know. It's so um, bad. I mean, I was I was watching that World Junior quarterfinal game against Slovakia, and I was like, please do not go to a shootout. So thank you to Connor Bedard for uh, answering my prayers. Holy cow, that goal. He almost scored like six goals in that overtime. Well, they were. he's like 17 years old playing in a tournament that's mostly for 19-year-olds, and he's like by far the best player in the hole. He looks unbelievable. Yeah, if I was... I know this is like now a topic of conversation in the league and it should be. If I was all those bad teams, I would just be like unloading guys and trying to get worse and trying to make sure I well, can try to going to. I mean, that's the LeBron wrote, I think yesterday yeah. for our site is like, it's going to be like an epic tank battle. So let me, let me, th- I know we're going to wrap the show here any minute, but, um, and, and apologies to people. We didn't get to questions today. Um, if, if you're one of these bottom, let me throw like the bottom teams that potentially have a chance at getting Bedard. If you're one of these teams, like where would you personally like to see him go? And where do you think it's best for him to go for the league? Uh, Chicago, Anaheim, Columbus, San Jose, Arizona, Montreal, Philadelphia, Vancouver. Honestly, man, Montreal kind of. Yeah, I know that's like, I I know at least fans are going to be, are not going to love that, but. It, it would it would be great to see him a lot and see him play against Boston and Tampa and Toronto and 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 play against what what Buffalo and Detroit. I mean, the Atlantic's already so interesting. You added like another superstar in there; it'd be pretty pretty compelling. 
Well, and like you'd have like constant like Matthews versus Bedard matchups, and like mm. maybe this stupid playoff format means you see a bunch of playoff series between mm. the Leafs and Habs, and it's like Bedard yeah. against yeah the next one against the yeah like I, those yeah. other markets. Like I mean, Chicago, I guess would be the one you'd say just because nah, that's Chicago's such a big like had enough. <laughs> yeah, that would be the counter, but it's like it is a big market. It is an important market, and like it, they have a good fan base. Obviously. I think but, Chicago deserves some time at the bottom of the standings here for the next decade. For yeah, multiple, it feels like for multiple reasons. Yeah, well, it feels like he would probably get lost a bit in Anaheim. Same with Columbus. Same with San Jose. Definitely with Arizona. With that joke of a an arena, yeah. Philly, like meh. I mean, Philly would be okay. Vancouver would be fun. Just isn't he from out there? From your yes. BC? Yes, yeah, I believe he's from North Van, which is. You know your geography in BC? It's like over the bridge, basically. Yeah. I mean, that would be pretty fun for them. Like if they had Bedard and Pedersen and like suddenly they're interesting. The BC people are coming. Like the number of great players that are coming out of there is incredible. So Who's the best BC player in the NHL today? Oh, shoot. Uh, I'm going to be Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. I I feel like I should be able to answer that off the top of my head and I can't. Let me see. Bars out. Barzal is like one that comes to mind, but that's not the actual answer. Do you do you have it in front of you there? I mean, uh, I'm right looking right? at Canadian players. I'm trying to figure out who's from BC. I don't know who's from BC, James. Sorry. Give me a second and I, I can look that up. Here we go. I got, uh, oh, this is, oh, this is all time. I wonder, uh, Jamie Ben, Nugent Hopkins, Ryan Johansson. <laughs> this is by like all time uh, Tyson Berry. This is, I think Barzell is like one of the big ones in terms of like the young, Shea Theodore's from BC, uh, Kerfoot, uh, Devin Taves. Um, That's a good one. A lot of like, a lot of defensemen have been coming out of there. Um, Every guy I look up seems to be from Ontario or Alberta. Yeah, well. The sh- what about the Shens? Huh? Dante, Dante Fabro. Uh, the, the Shens are from uh, Saskatchewan. Right? No, I think they're BC. I think they. I think they live. I think they live there now. Like they have the. They're in Kelowna, but they're they're not actually. And and Luke played for Kelowna in junior, but he's actually from Saskatchewan. You are right. All right, James. I yeah. think we've tapped this out. You 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 have to come back next week, and you'll have to do some research and tell I might me who the best BC. It. Anyway, well, but Dard. I mean, Paul Korea back in the day, and 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 Steve Eiserman and. Uh, the Niedermeyer brothers were from BC back in that. Like there were, there were a lot of good players when, you know, when I was in like high school, but uh, maybe there'll be this next wave now. It just, the elite hockey is, I, I have a friend who works out there in the, uh, the elite hockey, minor hockey community in Vancouver. And he says the talent there is just unbelievable. It's nothing like when we were young. All right. We'll wrap it there. Uh, happy new year to everyone. Happy new year to you. Happy new year to our producer. Great producer punch. Uh, we will be back next week. We're back on weekly podcasts. James, it's been a pleasure. Talk soon.